We have a time and a place for MicroConf Europe 2022. It's going to be November 15th through the 17th at the Intercontinental in Malta. This will be a limited capacity event. It's going to be smaller than previous MicroConf Europe's due to a number of factors. So it's definitely something that if you want to go to Malta, to MicroConf Europe in November, you're going to want to head to microconf.com Europe for more details and to buy your ticket. In terms of speakers, I, of course, will be speaking per usual. And we have Guillaume Mubesh. He's the founder and CEO of Lemlist, which is a company that has bootstrapped to eight figures in ARR. Hope to see you in Malta, November 15th through the 17th. That's microconf.com slash Europe. Welcome back to another MicroConf Refresh episode. I'm your host, Rob Walling, and today we're going to be hearing from Saba Kinajad about bootstrapping Veed.io to 5 million ARR in two years. It's an incredible story that he told at MicroConf Europe in 2021. And if you haven't heard this talk, I definitely recommend that you keep listening to this episode and even consider clicking through to the YouTube link that's in the show notes. And you can watch his full talk from stage with the slides and all the visuals. It gives you just a great picture of their journey, bootstrapping to 5 million ARR in two years. And if you haven't checked out the rest of our YouTube videos, you really should. microconf.com slash YouTube. We're now shipping at least one video a week. A lot of them are essentially me talking about a specific topic, focusing on things like how to grow your SaaS, how to build a SaaS with no money, bootstrapping, differences between venture funding and, and bootstrapping, you know, just all the things that founders are thinking about when they want to build, launch, and grow their SaaS product. So again, microconf.com slash YouTube. If you're not already subscribed, we have a lot of great content coming out. And with that, let's dive into our talk. The journey of Veed started just two years ago. So two years ago, I was not standing on stages. I wasn't talking about my company. Um, I was completely broke. I had no money. Uh, my company wasn't working. So two years later to be standing here presenting with a title 5 million ARR in two years is quite like, I don't know, not emotional, but you know what I mean. Um, so first of all, I'd like to start with a warning. Um, I feel incredibly fortunate to be in this position. I'm not smarter than anyone else in this room. I'm a terrible developer, pretty bad designer too. Um, and I think, I don't think I could replicate the success again. Um, to this level, anyway. So, um, yeah, just a bit of caution there. And then also the second thing is, this is not an overnight success. This is an overnight success, 10 years in the making. So it took a while to kind of get to this stage where we've been at. So to, to tell you the story, I'm going to go all the way back to when I left university. I got my first job. And uh, it was in a design studio in London. And you went to celebrate your first job. And I was really happy when I got it, because it was like apparently really hard to get break into the design industry. Um, and so I was, I was really happy, but then quite quickly I got this allergic reaction to actually working full time. I was, like, I was like looking around the room and I couldn't believe that people sat at desks from nine to five every single day. It was very, very strange. Um, I also looked around the room and I wasn't like, I don't know, it did, I, I used to have this like super, super power, like creative energy. I used to be able to work until like midnight every night and I was so into the projects that I was doing. However, at this job, it just kind of disappeared. I had no energy and I found it really, really sad. And I thought I had so much more to give. The other thing that I did was when I was there is I was kind of like looking around the room saying, who do I want to be? Um, I suppose when I grow up. <laughs> and, you know, what I did was I looked at the creative directors in these creative agencies and that's like, you know, the top, the head honcho of, of where I could get in, in my career. And they were making about hundred thousand pounds a year. 
So over 10 years, and you have to get to that level, right? So over 10 years, on 100,000 salary, you'd be making a million, which sounds great, right? But then once you factor in taxes, living expenses, you're not actually left with that much money at the end of the day. Um, and if you live somewhere like I do in London, property is incredibly expensive, and you, can't, you literally can't do anything with that kind of cash, right? Well, of course, you can get a deposit, but I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't make sense to me. Um, but starting Veed wasn't about actually the money. It was about creative freedom and having that energy that I was kind of missing when I had this job. Um, I had some early successes as an entrepreneur, um, of varying degrees. The first thing that I did when I was about 16 um, was start this little business selling red cups, and the company's called Real Red Cups. And what happened was I um, had a 16th birthday party coming up. I saw it in this American film, and I was like, it'd be really cool to have these red cups at my birthday party. However, I couldn't find them um, in the UK. So I ended up getting on the phone, 16-year-old Saba, contacting Solo Europe, the guys who make the cups, and they shipped me a box, um, which was really nice of them. I took out 20 cups, I did my birthday party, and then I had about 400 cups left over. So then I took them out and I started selling them on eBay. And that was going quite nicely, and I was making a bit of cash. So then I put up a website called realredcups.co.uk, and people started buying crates from me, and I didn't even know what dropshipping was, um, and I was technically dropshipping. So, you know, 16, 17, 18, I was making five, six hundred pounds a month, and I was pretty happy with that. It fizzled out when I got to university, though. The next kind of business that I started was a Breaking Bad Halloween costume business. <laughs> I love Breaking Bad, um, and I, there was so much hype around like, the final episode, what was going to happen to Jesse Pinkman and Walter White. And um, me and my flatmate had this, you know, we, we thought, like, wouldn't it be cool to dress up um, in hazmat suits for, for Halloween that year? And then we thought, hang on, why don't we actually just start selling them online? So we found yellow hazmat suits from, like, a chemical-grade dealer. We found these blue gloves and these gas masks. And the smart thing that we did was we found all of this stuff on next-day delivery, and we sold them on five-day lead times. So we never actually had any stock. We literally just got the order got stock, put it in a bag, sent it off. Um, we even started making our own crystal meth out of sugar as well to start you know, beating the competition and add some value. We made 14 grand in a week. Um, that was pretty cool. And I was at university. And then the final kind of thing that I did was I was making mobile games towards the end of university when I, when I got my first job. And I read that Candy Crush made a million pounds a day. And I was, I, like, my brain couldn't comprehend that the size of that business. So I was like, I can make mobile games. <laughs> so I did. And, you know, some of them did quite well, some of them completely flopped. Um, and, you know, at its height, it was making about £1,000 a month. Um, so I thought if I can take everything that I've previously done and, you know, actually went full-time on doing something, maybe I could, you know, start a little company and, you know, it'd be pretty cool. Um, so I thought, you know what, let's go work at some startups, gain some experience, learn a bit more, and also build some side projects at the same time. However, what ended up happening was I became incredibly unfocused. I was doing, um, making VR projects for some reason. Um, I was doing Arduino stuff as well and blowing up pretty much every motor that I got. Um, expensive hobby. Music, I was creating music, doing side projects, dev work, design, installation, creating YouTube videos. It was like I was literally all over the place. And nothing ever really got done that well. And I wasn't getting any closer to my goal of having my own little company, startup, whatever. So on the train back to see my mum for Christmas in 2016, I cracked open my laptop, I opened my notepad, and I wrote this message to myself, which I'm actually kind of proud of. Um, and I'll read it to you now. 
So this is the end of 2016. 2017, how can I combine cr creativity and entrepreneurship? What can I do really well and what do I want to spend my time doing? How can I spend more of my time doing what I love, making music, videos, dev, design, and film? Got a lot of passions. <laughs> so plan, um, work less, charge more. It's quite a good plan. Uh, put more effort into less projects. Focus more on fewer projects and make them the best they can be. And I don't know if it's, you guys have ever felt like this, um, but I think a lot of people kind of fall into this trap, just kind of doing a lot of different stuff, maybe got two or three projects going, and none of them can ever really develop significantly. Around that time, one of my hobbies was creating YouTube videos. And, um, and I found, I mean, I went to an art school. I was kind of working commercially in the creative field. I was editing videos, doing my own YouTube videos. And I'm a relatively technical person. However, that confuses me quite a lot, right? Um, and, and then, you know, but, you know, I can get it done. However, um, I was then working a contract job at a marketing agency, doing video editing, and um, I was asked to add text to a video all day long, literally video after video. And I was like, this is a waste of my time. This is boring. I was getting paid well for it, though. And, um, and the, the, the guys that kind of hired me were more than creatively able to do it, however, didn't have the skills, didn't have the right Mac, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought, and this wasn't a penny drop moment, by the way. This was like, hmm, something interesting there, and I think that's something that I could, you know, enjoy. So what we did next was I designed this. This is the first ever design of Veed, um, and it looks pretty bad. I should have went to the design workshop a couple of years ago, but anyway. And the functionality was super simple, right? It was, I got a laser, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, so we have a storyboard, so you can combine videos together. You can add text and images, and that was simply it. Um, really, really basic stuff. So what happened next was I put all the money that I had. So when friends of mine were you know, buying their first house, I put all the money that I had together, so did my co-founder, Tim. And we started, and also Bitcoin in 2017 before the boom, but whatever. Um, <laughs> shit. Um, and we started building, right? And like, you know, we, I don't know, it felt kind of cool, you know, like got a little startup kind of thing going. Um, and, and yeah, and then like not long after that, we hired a couple of junior devs who just left university. I started doing pitch competitions and we were winning. Um, and things felt like it was kind of going well until it didn't. And basically, we ran out of money. Um, the office that we were in uh, was kind of given to us for free by a VC, and they kicked us out. Um, funds were so, so low, so I thought I would maybe try and raise some cash um, from investors because they back phenomenal entrepreneurs, right? So um, I got rejection after rejection after rejection, and it, like, it's quite hard to articulate how shit it felt, right? I was so, so upset. And I remember, and I remember leaning against this wall. I think I kicked like this for a bit and I hit my head against it or something weird like that, just to remember how painful this experience was. Um, and that kind of sticks with me a bit. And so what happened now was my co-founder, Tim, um, he got a contract job because we literally had zero. Uh, and he started giving me half of his salary every month. So kudos to Tim for being such an incredible co-founder at that, that point. And he's turning up mornings, working evenings and weekends. I'm doing the full day. 
And you know, over the next month, we pretty much get to the point where we've got an MVP out, and you can see how basic VDs there look. Like edit, which is probably nothing. Trim, we were literally adding buttons to that did nothing, just to make it look more like a product. <laughs> Cropper, rotate, render, like very, very, very basic, and launch it on product hunt and spam the link around a few places, and yeah, traffic starts coming in, which is kind of cool. But I was like, I was pretty exhausted. Tim was exhausted. Like, it really, really strained relationships that I had. Um, I wasn't able to go to friends' birthday party. Like, it was bad. Anyway, so I got a contract job too, and it was quite nice to get paid again. And what we, then, so what we started doing um, was we started taking our salaries. We hired two devs, um, again, juniors, so they would be working on the product for us. Me, Tim, are doing mornings, evenings, and weekends still. And over the space of... Um, about eight months at this job, this started happening. We're like, oh, sick. Uh, traffic starts going up. That's a really good sign. Um, but it, still, it's not clear that we've actually got something here at all, right? It's just like, well, that's a, quite a good sign. And so we quit our jobs again. We apply for um, the very prestigious Y Combinator. And um, to our amaze, we get a final interview. So me and Tim jump on a flight. We go to San Francisco. We lay next to the sign. <laughs> And, um, and, and then so we go into the Y Combinator interview. Um, and in this interview, we're like, you know, barraging with questions for 10 minutes. And afterwards, we're like, yeah, you know, I think kind of did all right. You know, like, I think we're in for a good shot here. You know, like, video editing is a cool big market. And, you know, and so the way that it works with YC um, is if you get in, you get a phone call. If you don't get in, you get an email. So we're sitting there, we're waiting, refreshing the emails, checking the phones, friend calls, cancel, friend calls, cancel, you know, that sort of vibe. And um, it finally came in. Boom, we have been rejected. And it was like such a gut punch. It was like, oh, for fuck's sake. You know, um, and, and we, like, we were pretty upset, go to bed, next day wake up having breakfast, and we're like, you know what? Let's look at this one more time. At the, in the end, we didn't understand why you waited so long to start charging for the product. Well, that's an easy fix. So what me and Tim thought on the Friday when we, you know, when we were kind of waking up was like, if we can get some paid users and revenue by the Monday, we can write YC a, uh, an email and they'll reconsider and obviously take us in because like, that's a pretty cool story, right? So that's exactly what we do. We're like, open the laptops, off we go, get payments in, get accounts in. It was like proper choppy. Um, and to our amazement, we go live, Stripe's obviously in test mode still, <laughs> but finally, um, $5 comes in. Yes! Um, but that was pretty cool. And over that weekend, we actually managed to get 20 paid users. Admittedly, two or three might have been friends, but there was some real ones in there. <laughs> um, but that was awesome. Like, we had our first paid users, and we're like, they're obviously gonna take us in now. Like, how can they not? Like, this is incredible. And then obviously, you know, we can't change our mind at this time. This is such a boring automated response. I thought they were going to be like, oh, cool, guys. Like, you've done well, but, like, I'm sorry. Anyway, so, you know, I just want to recap the amount of sand that we've ate over the last year and a half to this point, okay? Burnt through all our savings, not once, twice. Um, sold all our equipment, okay, not saved a bit. Um, failed to raise capital. Uh, hired devs, they both quit on the same day. Uh, that was pretty... Pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> spent eight months contracting and like you know putting that revenue back, um, putting that money back into the company, and then also getting rejected by YC. You know we had a bit of paid use at this point, um, and you know we started making a bit of money. We started growing, 
and things looked like it was going to go all right. And we're like, we thought, okay, we need to get to ramming profitability. At that point, you can't kill us. No more contracting, no more years waiting. We've got a bit of cash coming in. We're chill. And our expectation at the time was like, you know what, if we could get to like two grand a month each, we'd be so, so happy. And then this happened. We're like, whoa, hang on a minute. 5,000 MRR in like, what, four months or something like that? I was like, this is crazy. And I was looking at Josh Pigford's blog post on bare metrics about ARR milestones, and I was like, well, it's pretty quick. This is awesome. Users really started enjoying the product, and when we started charging, they then started being a lot more articulate about what they wanted in the product and what we needed to build. So we were like, okay, this is cool. So then we started building more of the features that the users were looking for. And then, I don't know, like nine, ten months in, this happened. We're like, wow, that's pretty cool. This is beyond my wildest expectations, by the way. Like, this was never, this was not the plan. But it was pretty cool, obviously. Um, and, yeah, and then, like, it was very clear, like, you know, we're, we're on the way to a million at this point. That's, that's awesome. Um, and so I, at the point about YC rejection, did nothing apart from growth. Nothing. I didn't build any features. I did no more design work. The only thing what did, that I did was grow the product. How did I grow the product? I answered 160 questions on Quora. I created 30 YouTube videos, did 10 blog posts, 20 landing pages, joined every single Facebook group there was. I did 15 product launches on Product Hunt, which you can no longer do because we probably messed that up for everyone else, I'm sorry. And I built a bunch of tools as well. Um, okay, I did a bit of code. And, and that's, how, that's how we grew the product. Like that's, that was the kickstart. That's the thing that, you know. And then obviously, 12 months in, well not obviously, 12 months in, we, we hit a million ARR. Wow, that was just so ridiculous. Uh, at this time, we had a team of 10. And what was interesting is, again, like, do check out that Bear Metrics blog post on revenue milestones. It's really, really good. The first million took four months. Sorry, 12 months. The second million took only four months later, right? So the team grows. We're now a team of, I don't know, 50, 60, something like that. It's pretty exciting. We know what levers to push. And it just starts snowballing. We're just doubling down exactly on what was working. And it's just started taking off. So we get to 2 million four months after that. I think, what, three months after that? It was 3 million. It was absolutely ridiculous. Obviously, the investors then decided to come back because we're such a great team, as I said before. Um, and, you know, we've been inundated with investors at this point. Um, and, and then so I, I did a presentation to the company at 2 million ARR. And I was like, guys, I know how to get to 10. And it was really simple, double down. Like, what we're doing is working, and it's working phenomenally well. We just need to get better at what we're doing. We found an acquisition channel that works incredibly, incredibly well. Um, we, we were able to build the products that we wanted and deliver it to the user in a meaningful way. We had the right team. It felt like all the stars were aligning. So I took this screenshot um, just before when I had to do the submission for the, 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 the slides. I think we're maybe tonight or tomorrow morning going to cross half a million in monthly recurring revenue, which is ridiculous, which is obviously six million ARR. And there's also like no sign of it slowing down, which is super, super cool. But I suppose you guys want to know exactly how you can build a company to five million ARR in two years. And that's quite hard. You know, there's, you know, there's a lot of involved in that. There's a lot of luck. There's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff. So what I want to do is give you six really, really actionable tips and observations that I have from my own personal experience about how we managed to grow these to 5 million ARR in two years. Number one, um, start niche, but in a big market. This is so, so important. If you are in a niche, and when I say niche, a niche that's not in a big market, you're never going to be able to really, really scale and start addressing the larger market that's there. 
A really good example of this is Adobe being valued at two, uh, sorry, 300 billion. Huge, huge company with a massive creative suite, marketing automation, loads and loads of tools, right? But in there is video. That's a good start. Vimeo is being worth, valued at 5 billion, which has a bunch of video tools. Veed at 1 million MRR could trim a uh, 1 million, um, 1,000 MRR was just able to trim a video. But it's quite easy to see how you can go from trim and start going up, 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 getting closer to Vimeo and hopefully Adobe one day. I don't know. Um, and, and the number one that I, I just to drive this point home that I think is super interesting at the moment is like um, in the meditation space, there are a bunch of unicorn companies who have millions and millions in revenue. Right? And then if you put that into a tool like Earhrefs, so you can see there's a lot of people actually selling for morning, searching for morning meditation. So big market, the meditation space, the niche in it, maybe it's morning meditation. And then you scale and you go you know, to the next niche, which might be like sleep meditation, et cetera, et cetera. Number two, every product has an acquisition channel. And I think this is something we realized very, very early on. And being able to identify the acquisition channel for your company and the category of company that you are in is incredibly powerful because from day one, you know where to go. At the top here, you see Veed, and this is our breakdown of how we get traffic. This is public data. You can see it on a website like SimilarWeb. Below me is competitor A, below that is competitor B. They look very, very similar, don't they? It's because the majority of search on all of these platforms, um, search is the, is the main acquisition on all of these platforms. If you have a different product, you might see that social is a really big driver, um, and you might also see that maybe direct mail or something like that. So understanding the acquisition channel for each product is great because then you can start replicating that yourself. Number three is my favorite, but first, yeah. Number three is make something people search for. Why combinate a famous coined the term, make something people want, but that's kind of obvious, right? This is, I feel like, a, a lot more actionable. If you make something people search for, a few things happen. One, you identify that there's demand for the product, and you can see exactly how many people are looking for that product. The other thing is, you've now identified a product that people want, and you've also identified the way that you're going to get that product into the hands of the users. Search. And here's a bunch of examples um, that I decided to prepare for you guys. So, um, you can see, for example, um, chart maker, right? 100,000 people are looking to create charts every single month. The CPC is $4, which means that's what uh, a competitor or whatever is, is willing to pay to be the number one spot on Google. If you combine the traffic and the CPC, you kind of get a, 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 just a number, but it's kind of nice to have another number. Next, you can see how hard it is to rank for that. This being 48 means, you know, I'm pretty sure you could do it in a couple of years. Um, the next is the long tail. So what's the long tail opportunity? I think it's quite high for Chartmaker. It's Gantt Chartmaker, Bar Chartmaker, Graph Chartmaker. Again, all of these search terms. Um, and, the, and I've kind of scored how hard I think it would be to dev this. Um, another one which I think is an incredible opportunity is Sign PDF. Um, there are multiple companies who are public or being acquired by Dropbox that are just for signing PDFs, DocuSign for one. Um, there are 100,000 people also searching for that, but you see the CPC is much higher, so it's an incredibly profitable keyword to actually be ranking for. And I say it's relatively easy to rank for it, and the long tail is great. Sign PDF, sign PDF Mac, sign PDF online, like it goes on and on. Um, number four is... Don't be a dev. Um, as I said, I stopped all product 
like hands-on product development work myself, a top part for product management at the point of that YC rejection because I wanted to grow the company as quickly as I physically could. So I'm bringing this slide back. What did I do? I did 160 posts on Quora, 30 YouTube videos. There was, like, there was nothing that I was doing that didn't grow the product. So if you're you know, sitting there thinking, I would like to grow my product, and I want to get into the hands of more users, and you're building another feature that a user asked for, you are doing it wrong. You need to do this. Um, and I know it's hard if you're a solo founder, um, and it's quite nice to fall back just into that engineering mode and building that next feature, but it doesn't grow your product. As I said, trim, crop, you could draw in a video and add text, that was it. We grew to 30, 40,000 monthly users with just that, and it was clunky. Number five, um, it takes much, much longer than you think. If, and that's cool, by the way, that's, it's normal. But like, if, you are, if you've got enough runway to last you a year, don't be upset if you get to the end of that year and you throw, you know, I'm done. It's probably going to take two years. So if you look at our kind of, this is not, unfortunately, in scale, because um, that would be way too hard. But, <laughs> You know, it took us a year from the MVP being live to get our first dollar. And before this, it was um, about another year. So two years to actually make a dollar, right? That's a long, long time to wait and push for that. And finally, number six, something that I think is incredibly important and a reason why I'm standing here today and the reason why we've been successful is um, I care quite a lot about the products that I've built. And I've done it with an incredible co-founder who, as I said, paid me half of his salary for a few months, no questions asked, when times are really, really tough. And that takes a certain type of co-founder. Um, and also the, the point about care what you work on. Me and Tim previously made this, made this product and it was in like the real estate market. And like we literally built it, we shipped it, and I was like, I, have, I do not care about real estate. Um, and another, another example is like, say you're building like a legal tech platform, like you also, you're going to be associating yourselves and hanging out with people who are lawyers. No offense to lawyers, they're fine, you know, but I, I personally don't find it interesting. So build a product in a category that you actually like. Um, sorry, is that a lawyer over there? No? Okay, good. Um, and as I, yeah, and, and just to drive that point home, incredible co-founder, Tim has been incredibly supportive to me and I think we're a really, really good team. So that is all my slides. That's how we grew Veed from zero to five million. It's actually six million now, uh, ARR in just over two years. Um, and thank you so much to um, the whole team here for putting on this amazing event. And yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Hey, that, that was amazing, very inspiring. I'm curious because, you know, this seems uh, like, anyway, uh, like you followed your intuition, right? And then you kind of uh, grew your business, of course, with a lot of hard work. And then one of the lessons that you shared is to like do this research and then figure out what people are searching for. Uh, did you at some point kind of like switch to that and like start making pivots to your landing pages? Yeah, or? I, yeah I had no idea about any of this stuff. It was only from being incredibly, I was just like stalking, like I was listening to every podcast that the head of growth of Canva or this or that has ever been on. I was looking at every marketing analytical tool. I was listening to every single podcast that Melanie from Canva was on and all the other competitors. And I started seeing a bit of a trend. And then as I saw SEO was working for us, I just went super, super deep. Um, and I'd love to know how you got into YC. <laughs> Hey, Saba, thanks for your uh, talk and your amazing journey. I think uh, I, the first time I read about you was when you were spamming uh, Hacker News with all your uh, posts. It was amazing to read uh, along the way. 
Um, I was wondering, uh, especially in the beginning, as a bootstrapped uh, uh, company and, and two bootstrapped founders, you were doing a product which required quite some resources with all the video processing, etc. And especially in the beginning, everything was free. Uh, did you have any challenges uh, funding that part and how, how did you uh, plan on that? So running Veed from a technical standpoint, as of today, costs about thirty to $40,000 a month. Back then, we had $100,000 in Google credits. And in fact, no, it was actually like $2,000. And then we literally went to Google's office and demanded to speak to someone who could up it. And that actually worked. He's a really nice guy, actually. Um, really nice guy. The, the part, like, we, like, our technical, this was the edge of our technical experience um, and expertise at the time. Um, so that was probably the hardest thing, and that's why we had to bring people in quite early. But because, like, honestly, I think if you're a, a developer, you could build that early version of Veed in a, in a couple of weeks if you, if you really wanted to. Dave. Hey, Sava, how's it going? Oh, Christ, sorry, a bit loud. Um, just checked out your pricing. It's really reasonable. It's like sort of 18 and sort of 25 pounds, and it yeah. sort of maybe goes against the grain of some of the sort of raise your pricing type stuff. Also, I'm guessing it's aimed at prosumers rather than... B2B, yeah. can, you, can you talk a little bit about that? Because you know what you're doing is working, so. Okay, so there are about 250 million searches for video creation editing related searches annually in the English language. That's a lot of people. There's multiple apps on the App Store with over 100 billion downloads and they, they can't quote any higher than that. So it, the market is huge. Um, we have about 1.5 million people coming to the site every single month at the moment and um, so with that volume, we can charge that price. And it is quite, I mean, you know, I think we could up the price, but we don't want to, you know, we're, we're kind of chill. Um, yeah, I mean, everyone needs to up their price, don't they? Let's be honest. And also, um, Dave has just launched his, pro uh, his, his product today, haven't you, Dave? It's kind of in, in the process. So Dave's taking pre-sign-ups today. Please find Dave at the bar, and uh, he's, he's got an email list, and I've, I, for one, will be signing up. You're going to look great, Dave. <laughs> Any, yeah? Uh, at, at what point did you go from like just more marketing and investing in SEO to like the product needs to do more? So like from trim and crop and to, yeah. to like expanding towards Adobe and... The, yeah. the product was always being developed. Um, the features took quite a long time because it was such an intensive product to build. Um, but like my, I was just grow, grow, grow. I was like pretty aggressive on growth. I would wake up and think about growth. I'd go to bed and think about growth. Like, you know, obviously the products need to, basically, when you're making enough money to not worry so much about growth, you can do product, you know? <laughs> like, it's that kind of relationship. But so often I see founders and friends of mine who think that the next feature is gonna be the one. And a, a good example of this is a friend of mine was building his product for like a year and a half, and I was like, oh, what are you gonna do about growth? And I was like, oh, don't you worry about that. I've got this like viral mechanic in there, and like it's gonna explode, it's gonna be the next Dropbox. And I was like, really? I wouldn't say that. I was like, oh, cool, dude. Um, and, um, and of course it didn't work, right? And then there was no, there was no backup, though, which was really upsetting. Um, and the product struggled to get traction because, again, they're still really making those buttons pretty nice and the you know, glossy and blur is pretty good. I've got to say, it's a lovely-looking product, but it's not growing. So have you done 160 core posts, 20, 30 blog posts, 30 YouTube videos? Ask yourself that question. Uh, 
part of the reason you saw the opportunity for Veed was the complexity of the existing video tools. Is there anything you're doing to make sure that Veed doesn't itself become too complex, or is that okay as you start to grow and move up market? Yeah, I think that I just recently heard a really good podcast on this, this very topic. Um, so, you know, we're always, in, we're always trying to... Okay, so one thing that I did was super helpful in the early days is I, any user that signed up for Veed or paid for Veed could book a call with me. And instead of being like, oh, I'd love to learn about how you're using the product, I was like, if you want to book an onboarding call, I'm more than happy to show you how the product works. And I had a lot of FaceTime with our users and they are not YouTubers, they're not young, they're not hip. Those guys are using the, you know, the decent editing software. Like, they're, they're working in a marketing agency in their, you know, 40, in their 40s, right? And so like, I've got this image of the user in my head, and I know that they're going to look at the product, and what they need to see needs to just make sense. You know? so, a lot of, so we've ignored a lot of the sort of like generic design um, principles that you might normally associate with video editing so that we can bend the rules a little bit to what we think is a more intuitive and native experience. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just comes down to having great designers that we have on our team and great PMs that are able to kind of like do that filtering for us now. But early days, it's quite hard to build a really featureful product in this space. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks again for joining me today for this refresh episode. As I mentioned in the intro, if you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, you really should check it out, microconf.com slash YouTube. And I hope you and I are able to connect on Twitter. I'm at Rob Walling and at microconf. See you in the next episode.